To move into the sermon today, I wanted to tell just a little story. You may have seen this on the Internet, but I thought it was quite interesting. These two preachers went fishing one day, and they were sitting beside the stream, and they were fishing away, but uh, they realized as uh, pastors and ministers they needed to be about their father's business, so they made this sign that uh, they stuck beside the road. It was entitled, The End is Near, Turn Yourself Around Now Before It's Too Late. And they heard this, they were fishing a while, and they heard this car come roaring down the road. And uh, they looked at each other and said, you better get up and wave that sign. So the guy goes up and starts waving this sign and says, The End is Near, Turn Yourself Around Before It's Too Late. The guy who's driving his car puts on his brakes, squeals to a stop. He says, you religious fanatics, I can't even get away from any of you. You're always around. He tramped on the gas, squealed the tires, roared away. And about three or four minutes later, they heard the brakes squeal. They heard a big crash and a big splash. And the one pastor looks at the other one and said, do you think we should have just said the bridge is out on the side? You know, if you read the papers this week, it's been very sobering to see what's been happening. There's a banner headline, you know, two or three inches high almost every morning on the front page of the paper about the financial conditions not only here in the U.S. and on Wall Street, but around the world. You know, the Russian stock market closed down twice. Uh, Various things are happening in different parts of the world. And it seemed like these things just kind of erupted suddenly. You know, where did it come from? Why is it happening? I'd like to ask some of those questions this afternoon. You know, what is actually happening? How serious is it? And what does it all mean? What does it all mean? Why has it hit America? Why is it happening on Wall Street? You know, why didn't it happen someplace else? Why is it happening here? What does it all mean? How does this relate to Bible prophecy? And how does it relate to you and to me in the days just ahead? I've entitled the sermon, Watch and Understand. Watch and Understand. I want to talk about four things, four events that are going to come to pass. I don't know that we can set dates on this, but uh, the Bible talks about these things. Maybe in the next number of months, maybe in the next number of years. I doubt seriously it's going to be the next number of decades because too many things are happening of a significance that rattle the whole way around the world. I'll read some of these things to you. You Over the last number of years, people have been ridiculed because they were interested in prophecy. People in the Church of God have been told, well, you know, you're suffering from prediction addiction if you're interested in prophecy. And yet, you know, Paul told Timothy, don't despise prophecy. Don't take it lightly. So we've got to be careful we don't get sucked into some of these ideas that are floating around today. Because it was Jesus Christ himself 
that told his disciples to watch, to watch world events, to keep your eyes open. Don't be deceived. Don't be taken uh, you know, off in a different direction. In Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Jesus says watch at least seven times. At least seven times to watch, keep your eyes open, don't go to sleep. Don't buy into ideas such as prediction, addiction. Now, people can get unbalanced in prophecy. But Jesus Christ is the one who gave those prophecies. And he said to watch. So I want to look at some of these prophecies. I want to look at four major events this afternoon and try and put it in perspective. It was, a cart- it was interesting. Just looking through the paper this morning, I looked through and <laughs> I went back and cut out some of these things because it was quite instructive just looking at what was in the paper this morning. There's a cartoon on the last page. Wife is in the kitchen and she's asking her husband, uh, what's the good news for today? And you see him reading the paper. Gas prices go sky high. Stocks drop. Wall Street in crisis. Pakistan border is under fire. Flood damage high in Texas. And she said, what was the good news for today? And he's... (laughs) There ain't no good news. It's all bad. That's almost been the paper this week. Paper this morning said federal bailout of uh, Freddie Mae and Fannie uh, Mac or Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. (laughs) (laughs) But the federal bailout of that and a number of other things is going to be more than the Pentagon's Pentagon's budget last year. Pentagon's budget was $600 billion. It said these bailouts that were just agreed to in the last week or so is going to be more than the Pentagon's budget. And the taxpayers of America are going to be paying for the next 20 or 30 years on the decisions that have been made just this past week. I mean, these are incredible things that are happening today. But why is it happening in America? Because this is where it's rippling out from. And as countries around the world make comments, is when America hiccups, we have convulsions. When America hiccups, we have convulsions because of the interdependency today of the world. Why is it happening in America? I want to focus on some things here for just a little bit as we begin. Turn in your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 12. You know, Americans and the people basically of Britain and other places have forgotten who they are. We've not been told who we are. You know, many people today believe that we're Gentiles. But that's not true. Many believe that the Old Testament is kind of all done away with. We don't have to worry about that. And yet, one of the Harvard professors, I think it was the guy Huntington that wrote the book on Clash of Civilizations, has written another book. What was the name of that, Davey? Something about who are you or what is our identity? And what he's basically saying is with all the immigration and everything else, Americans are losing their identity of who they are. Now, he's coming from it from a totally secular perspective. 
And yet to understand what is happening today, we've got to understand who we are. That God chose the descendants of Abraham for a purpose and for a reason to set an example for the world. They haven't done it. Now, God is calling people from all backgrounds now to become spiritual Israelites. To be heirs to the promises that were originally made to the physical Israelites. But we've got to understand what our history is and what our background is before we can really understand what's happening today. First thing I want to talk about is why it's happening in America today. It's happening in England, too. You know, Gordon Brown, who's now the prime minister of England, he was sitting in the the sidelines. Apparently he and Tony Blair had cut a deal whenever Labor came into power over there, that Tony Blair would be the first prime minister, then he would step aside and let Gordon Brown take over partway down the road. Well, Tony stayed around for, what, 15, 16 years, something like that. Just resigned recently, and Gordon Brown has finally come into uh, his position of power. There's an article in the back of the paper this morning that he's facing a revolt within his party because the popularity of the Labor Party is down the tubes. The Conservative Party is now 17 percentage points ahead of Labor, and this has never happened before. He's been in office less than a year, and it looks like he's going to be ousted. A lot of things are happening, but why is it happening to America and Britain and other countries? Genesis chapter 12, notice the covenant, the agreement that God made with Abraham. This was not made with other nations, with other peoples. It was made with Abraham and Sarah and then their children. Get out of your country from your kindred, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You've got to run this down through history. What has happened to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? They became Great Britain that spread around the world. They became the United States of America, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. God has not forgotten his covenant. See, a covenant is an agreement between two people. It's an agreement between God and Abraham and his descendants. He says, I'm promising to bless you incredibly, to make your nation great, to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless, basically it says a little bit later, you're going to be a blessing to all, here it is down here at the bottom. I will bless you and bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you or through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, the roads in Kenya that uh, Mr. King was talking about, that he rode 400 kilometers on, they said are coming apart. You know who built those roads? The British. In many cases, they've not been maintained since the British left. East Africa. The cities that were laid out, the buildings that were built, the medical institutions that were set up, the railroad that was built, it was all built by the British. 
and they've left, they've gone. And the countries of Africa and other places around the world, in many cases, are coming apart. See, God promised blessings to his offspring, to a particular group of people. He said, in you, the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. Samuel Huntington, this gentleman from Harvard, has made the comment that uh, the sun appears to be setting on the Western world. The sun appears to be setting on the Western world. And he said, when the Western world, basically American Britain, ceased to be the influential powers in the world, he said, things are going to get very rough in the world. Things are going to get very rough in the world. It's going to be a very different world. But we've got to understand these things. God says, I'm going to bless you. If we get down through Genesis very quickly... Let's jump to Genesis 49. Again, keep in mind that God promised that the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would become a nation and a great nation or a multitude of nations. You know, who else has fulfilled those things? But if we come down to Genesis 49, and some people think, well, this doesn't apply anymore. This is Old Testament. But notice what is being said here. In Genesis 49, verse 1, these are prophecies about what's going to happen to the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 49, chapter 49, verse 1, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what will befall you in the last days. What is going to befall you? Where will you be in the last days? at the end of the age. These prophecies were meant to be understood at the end of the age. So you can look back and begin to realize God kept his part of the bargain. God kept his covenant. He did not forget his people who went off in a different direction. And talks about Reuben, my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power, unstable as water. We've identified, and other people have too, the Reubenites being French, basically. And France was the, or French was the language of diplomacy. You know, they had holdings in America, which they lost. They had holdings other places, which they lost to Ephraim. It's amazing how these things have worked. You know, there was a French explorer in the South Pacific sailed by Australia. They were looking for Australia. And while he sailed through there, there was a big fog bank over Australia. He, didn't, he couldn't find it. <laughs> then Captain Cook came along and claimed the, the land for England. And just one thing after another, God has worked these things out so that certain things fell in certain places because he was working out a plan and a purpose. talks about Simeon and Levi, brothers of cruelty. And there's some possibilities that uh, uh, the Simeonites and the Levites have wound up uh, to a degree in, in Ireland. You know, they're very musical people over there. They do a lot of very interesting things to tie in with prophecy. It talks about in verse 22, Joseph being a fruitful, a fruitful bough. 
Again, Joseph's children, Ephraim and Manasseh, were the ones that were to become a nation and a company of nations. You know, a fruitful bough that grows over a wall, it's, it's, it's talking about a colonizing people. They're spreading out all over the place. Down here in verse 26, it mentions uh, uh, Joseph and on the crown of his head of him who was separate from his brothers. You know, most of the Israelite peoples wound up in northwestern Europe. But the British wound up in England, separated by a channel. And the Americans wound up over here. And then the descendants of the British wound up in Canada, in Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And some of the choice places of the earth, not because they were any better than anybody else. God made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm going to bless you. And God has. And we're sitting here enjoying the blessings. Enjoying the blessings. And sometimes we probably take for granted. Jump quickly now to Exodus 19. This was the covenant that God made with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. But we need to remember this goes two ways. God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'm going to bless your descendants. You know, walk before me, be, perf- be perfect. If you do that, I'm going to bless you. Now the covenant he made with the Israelites. Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, this agreement, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You know, priests are teachers. They explain God's way of life. This was the covenant. I'm calling you to be a special people. I've got a purpose for you. And if you stick to that purpose, I'm going to bless you. We need to understand that as we look at things that are happening in the world today. Okay, jump to Deuteronomy now. The generation that God made that covenant at Sinai with turned their back on God. You know, they put up a a golden calf, began worshiping the gods of Egypt, literally turned their back on God's way. Yet God had promised to bless Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is where another generation of Israelites were preparing to enter the promised land. And before they entered the promised land, God wanted to renew the covenant. Look, you're my special people. Follow me, and I will bless you. Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's a summary of this covenant. The covenant really doesn't change. You have the sacrifices that were added because of disobedience, but the essence of the covenant really doesn't change. Now, O Israel, verse 1, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe because they're really bad for you. No, what does it say? That you may live. That you may live, that your life will be worthwhile and go in and possess the land which the Lord is giving to your fathers. Don't add to the word that I command you. Don't take anything away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Down in verse 6, Therefore be careful to observe them, that is, these commandments and statutes and judgments, 
you know, I was reading in one of the Bible handbooks and preparing a lecture for this class I'm teaching on OTS, that it mentions that the the old covenant or the covenant that God made with Abra- with uh, Israel was not a legalistic covenant. It was not a legalistic covenant. It was based on love for God and love for our fellow man. If you love God, you honor him, you keep his Sabbath, you don't take his name in vain. If you love your fellow man, you don't lie, cheat, steal, kill, commit adultery. See, the the covenant is based, as we will see here in just a minute, on love for God. Not some legalistic type of thing. But notice in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be careful to observe these things. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear these statutes. In other words, this is going to set you apart from all the other peoples of the world because I am giving you my laws, is basically what God is saying. And what God wanted people to say then is the Israelites learned to apply these things correctly. Surely this is a great nation, or surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord your God, or our God is to us? And what nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as in all this law which I set before you? You Samuel Huntington, the gentleman at Harvard, has made this observation. When America and Britain cease to be the influential powers in this world, we're going to have a very different world. We're going to have a very different world. Much more barbaric. Much more cutthroat. Less merciful. Less understanding. Less patient. See, many people think America is weak because we're patient. And Teddy Roosevelt's policy was what? Speak softly. but carry a big stick. Speak softly, but carry a big stick. If you saw the movie Tora, 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 the Japanese admiral was educated at Harvard, I think, but basically educated in America. And when they attacked Pearl Harbor, his comment was, we have basically awakened a sleeping giant, something like that. And if we don't defeat them very quickly, we're going to have all you-know-what to pay. Because <laughs> he knew the industrial capacity of America. He knew what America was like once they were aroused. And it took Pearl Harbor to do that, and it took several years beyond that. And then Japan paid heavily. But here was a man who was educated in America. He knew what was going to happen if they didn't knock America out right away. And he lived to see that happen. In verse 9, part of this covenant that God made with another generation of Israelites, he said, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things that your eye has seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach these things to your children, down in verse 23. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant, 
of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And then you get off into carved images and other things. What he's saying is don't forget the covenant, the agreement that we made. I called you to be my special people. I said I would bless you incredibly. But part of the covenant was you've got to obey. You've got to follow my laws and my my principles and guidelines. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 6 quickly. Again, Moses is basically running these things by a new generation. He said, look, you've got to remember these things. In verse verse 1, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land in which you go to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. Again, it's interesting, the observation that came across again in one of these Bible handbooks is that, uh, you know, fear without love is terror. But love without fear is, I forget the word, it was just, it's, it's emotion. There's got to be fear where you fear God. You're not going to play games, but there's also love. You appreciate what God has done for us. And to love him, you show that love by obeying him. So that's what it's talking about here, that you may fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and commandments which which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life as a burden, that your days may be prolonged, that you'll live long and that you'll have a good life. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be care uh, and be careful to observe it that you may dwell that it may dwell with you and you will multiply greatly verse 7 teach these things to your children and down in verse 10 comes the caution and it shall be when the lord your god brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers abraham and isaac and jacob going clear back to genesis to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build Houses full of good things, which you did not fill. In other words, they took over that promised land. It says, Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Don't forget who gave you the blessings. For those of you that were born and raised here in the United States, we didn't ask to be born here. We happen to be born here. And had you been born south of the border or in other countries around the world, why do so many people want to come here? Because life is better here. Life is better here. We have been blessed incredibly, not because of anything we have done, but because of this covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he has not forgotten But the history of the Israelites has been to forget, to go off here and to go off there. And we're doing it today. We're still doing it today. You can't put the Ten Commandments up in public buildings today because you'll offend somebody. You know, when the Israelites crossed to Jordan, Moses told Joshua, you set up stones and write the law on those stones and make it a big public thing. 
and then read the law every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles so that these things are not forgotten. And yet it's an embarrassment to us today to do that in America. You know, we're legalizing same-sex marriages. The things the Bible says is, is an abomination. And yet we're saying, well, it's, you'll offend somebody if you don't let them do that. You know, why were the Canaanites basically obliterated? Because God is this terrible monster? No, they were sacrificing their own children to an idol. And part of their religious ceremonies were wild sexual things. You know, God is going to resurrect those people in a second resurrection. So he told the Israelites, wipe them out. They'll come up later. I'll deal with them later. But I am giving you this land, and I don't want them polluting you or drawing you in to what they're doing. See, this is how God has dealt with Israel. He called the Israelites to be a light and an example to the world. And yet they've gone off in other directions. This has been their history. Notice an interesting scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 10. This sounds very New Testament. But this is what Moses told the Israelites as they were preparing to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What is God looking for? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day. Notice another interesting concept in verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Paul talked about the same thing. Get rid of your rebellious attitudes. <laughs> This concept is the same, both, both testaments. And don't be stiff-necked any longer. Deuteronomy chapter 26, and this is where Moses basically summarizes the covenant made with this new generation. The same covenant was made with the older generation. See, these things don't change. Summarized beginning in verse 16, 17, and 18, 19 of chapter 26. Now, these are the things we need to understand before we get to why prophecy is coming true the way it is. So the Israelites were reminded, this new generation, this day the Lord your God commands you to observe all these statutes and judgments. You know, don't lie, don't kill, don't steal. Be concerned about other people. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart, with all your soul. Down in verse 18, just skipping down here. Because he's talking about walking before God, keeping his statutes. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. I came across a book in England, actually written by a religious editor, the Catholic, I believe, for the uh, London Times or the London Telegraph. It's entitled The Chosen People. And you read through about the first half of the book, and he's basically saying you cannot understand America and Britain unless you understand this concept of a chosen people. And then he gets to the end of the book, he says, but it doesn't matter anyways. <laughs> it's incredible. 
He's saying you cannot understand the mind of George Bush. You can't understand the mind of American presidents. And you can't understand even some of the English leaders unless you understand this concept of a chosen people. That they were chosen to be lights to this world. We were chosen to spread a knowledge of God to the world. You know, American British missionaries going into China uh, as China was opening up. The missionaries get off of one side of the boat and uh, the people buying opium or selling opium got off the other side of the boat. And the Chinese are there. <laughs> What's going on? You got missionaries coming to save us and another guy's bringing, I think it was Indian opium, into China to, to sell it. And to the Chinese, this, this was crazy. It was hypocrisy. And so we've not been the lights and examples of the world that we should have been. We've not been the, the, the example that God wanted his special people to be. He will set you high above all the nations, and that's basically where we have been. See, God kept his part of the covenant, but he's watched Americans and Britons and other people go off in different directions over the centuries. Deuteronomy 28 is interesting. Deuteronomy 28 has to do with blessings and cursings. Leviticus 26 has to do with blessings and cursings. And when you study uh, ancient history, the treaties that were made by the Assyrians and the Hittites also had sections like this. <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if you do business with us, we'll treat you nice. If you cross us, look out. So Moses was using a form of writing that was similar to the times in which he was living. But notice very quickly, this was part of the covenant. In verse uh, <clears throat> 1 of chapter 28, Now it shall come to pass, if, and notice the if, you might put a circle around that in your Bible because it's conditional. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe all his commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You know, America was founded essentially by God-fearing people. The Puritans up in New England. They didn't keep Christmas. They didn't do a lot of those things because they feared to disobey God. That's where this nation was founded. That's not where we are today. Why has America been blessed as we have been? Because of this covenant. If you obey, I'm going to set you on high above the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will overtake you because you obey the voice of your God. And it talks about blessings of uh, you know, crops and blessings of health and all kinds of things. Um, Notice in verse 12, if, if you obey, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain in your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. America was one of the biggest lenders at one of the, point, once, one of the points in time in history. We're not today. With all these financial arrangements that have been made, America is going to have a debt of what something like four or five hundred 
trillion dollars or billion dollars, whatever it is. It's an incredible amount. We're essentially broke. Unless the Chinese continue to buy our securities, we're going to be in trouble. And if they pull the plug, which could happen overnight, things are going to change. There's a proverb that says that the borrower is servant to the lender. We are borrowing from nations that are potentially our enemies and adversaries. China, the Middle East. These are not wise things to do. Because we're going to lose our power to do things. But this was one of the promises. If you obey, see, if you don't steal, if you don't take advantage of the poor. You know, one of the things in the paper today was that uh, <clears throat> the man who was heading up Lehman Brothers has been in that position for 15 or 16 years. His salary over that 15 or 16 years in total was half a billion dollars. He was making $17,000 an hour. Why is this financial system coming apart? Because God talks about don't oppress the poor. This was in the paper this morning. 30 years ago, big CEOs might have made 30 or 40 times what their workers made. You know what they're making today? Over 340 times what the workers are making. They run a company in the ground, they walk away with millions of dollars as your <laughs> parachute to walk away from your job. And everybody else is turned out in the street. This is what's happening today. Your God is a loving God. He's a just God. Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and set up a totally different system based on justice, based on mercy, based on love, not on greed. So it's not surprising to see what's happening in this country today and where it's going to go. I mean, this is really pretty plain. If you obey, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, it mentions up here in verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments. Don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, don't lust, don't do those things. All these curses will come upon you. And you can read down through there and it talks about nations will come upon you. They're going to besiege you in your gates. One of the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was, I'm going to give you the gates of your enemies. Moses turns around here and says, your enemies are going to besiege you in your gates. Those things that I gave you, they're going to take them back. They're going to give you a rough time. All these things are going to happen. Finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, now this is the prophecy looking ahead to the future. Moses told this to the Israelites, the ones that were a new generation going into the promised land. In verse 24 of chapter 31. So it was when Moses had completed the writings of the words of the law of, in a book, when he was, were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant 
of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. It's there. It had to be read every seven years. The Israelites were reminded, I chose you to be my special people. I gave you my laws, not the laws of the Jews or Moses. I gave you mine. I wanted you to be a light to the world. And you tossed them away. You forgot them. You changed them. For I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today while I'm alive with you, you have rebelled against the Lord, then how much more after my death? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to my people after I'm out of here? Verse 29, he had a foreknowledge of what was coming. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt, totally embarrassed by the laws of God, doing things that I have said is an abomination. You will become utterly corrupt. You will turn aside from the way which I commanded you. And evil will befall you when? In the latter days. Things are going to come apart for you. Now this is a loving God. This is a loving God who said, look, we made an agreement. I was going to bless you. Because you're my people. I've chosen you, and you've turned your back on me. And now things are going to have to happen. If we look at Isaiah, let's jump ahead. Just looking at the story of Israel quickly. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah was a prophet to the people of Israel. They had changed the Sabbath. They had changed the holy days. They had gone off into idolatry. That absorbed an awful lot of pagan customs. But God sent prophets to them to warn them. Say, look, wake up, change, open your eyes. Because things are going to happen. It doesn't have to work out badly if you'll change. But they didn't do that. Verse 2, chapter 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I've nourished and brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. They decided to do their own thing. The ox knows its owner. The donkey is master's crib. You know, my uncle had a dairy farm. We'd let the cows out in the morning. They'd go down in the pasture. They'd come back at night. All we did was open the barn door, and they would go to the stall <laughs> where they belong. Once in a while, they'd get the wrong one in the wrong stall, and then the other one that really belonged there would get in and push it out of the way. <laughs> You know, animals know these things. Intelligent Israelites think they can do their own thing. And brethren, that's in our blood. Hard-headed, independent-minded. You know, we lived up in New England for several years. One of the uh, state mottos up there was, Live free or die. In other words, we've got to have it this way or we'll die. Motto in Texas was what? Don't tread on me. And the modern signs that you see down there in Texas today is what? About litter. Don't mess with Texas. <laughs> Don't mess with Texas. 
because you have things to answer for. That's the Israelites. That's the way we do things. He said, you've rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey's crib, but Israel doesn't know, doesn't even consider. It's a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers. Children are corruptors. They've forsaken the Lord. They've provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. But they're religious. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who's required of this from your hand to trample at my courts. Don't bring any more futile sacrifices before me. Your incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies I can't endure. Now, to understand that, you've got to go back to Second Kings. The Israelites changed the Sabbath. They changed the holy days. And that's what God is saying. The stuff you're doing is not what I want to see you do. It's not what I told you to do. You're doing your own thing. So I can't stand yours. Your appointed feasts. When are our feasts today? Christmas, Easter. We don't keep the holy days. It's what we're doing today and what the ancient Israelites did. But these are things that have happened. What I want to get to now is what's happening in the world today. Why have things suddenly happened in America? Why has this financial thing kind of come out of the blue? Some of the warnings that the prophets gave to Israel that have prophetic impact today. Notice in uh, Isaiah 29, verse 5. See, this was a message that Isaiah was to give to the people of Israel before they went down the drain. But these things have applications today because we're doing the same things. God still remembers his covenant. And we're going to face some of the same music. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 5. We're breaking in in the middle of this. It says, Moreover, the multitude of your foes shall be like fine dust. And that's what's happening today. America has lost its prestige. It's like in, in, in a chicken pen. If a chicken starts to bleed, what do the, chickens, what do the other chickens do? They all start pecking on this bleeding chicken. And this is what's happening today. People say, well, what has President Bush done to us? You know, the whole world hates us. Well, why does the whole world hate us? Because of what we're doing and what God is allowing to happen. But this was the prophecy. Moreover, the multitude of your foes shall be like fine dust, and the multitude of terrible ones shall be as chaff that passes away. Yes, it shall be in an instant, suddenly you will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake. He's introducing a concept here. He says, your punishment's going to come suddenly. Now, this is built up a number of different places. Chapter 30, verse 8. Isaiah repeats this, chapter 30. In verse 10, it says, uh, say to the seers, you know, don't seer, don't prophesy. And to the prophets, people are saying, don't prophesy to us right things, speak unto us smooth things. Don't tell us about these bad things that are coming. We don't want to hear that. Well, we want to hear something you know, smoother. Get out of the way, turn aside from the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Verse 12, Therefore thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversity, you're oppressing people, you're doing perverse things, 
and rely on those things. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach ready to fall. You see a big bulge developing, and you realize it's going to burst any time. Whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant. The implication of the prophecy is things are going to be building. As you read about these financial things, financial advisors have said this has been building for the last number of years. Banks giving loans to people that couldn't afford it. (laughs) This could have been headed off years ago. But now trying to head it off is probably not going to do anything. It may stretch it out for just a little bit. But this is the essence of the prophecy. Things are going to build like water behind a wall, and all of a sudden, everything bursts. Now, that appears to be the direction we're going. If the Chinese pull the plug, what's going to happen? See, we're out on a financial limb today. 10, 15 years ago, people could kind of laugh, well, what could happen to us? Well, today when we're beholden to the Chinese, to the Arabs, and they pull out their financial background or backing, things could go very quickly. But the point I want to make is this is what God has been saying down through the centuries uh, in Jeremiah quickly, Jeremiah chapter 6. Some people say, well, you know, the book of Jeremiah was just written to the Jews. Well, don't buy that because that's not true. Just look very quickly in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 4. Now, this is the mission that Jeremiah was given. It's not just to the Jews. Chapter 2, verse 4, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. And you can find this several different places through the book of Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah, where he's talking, yes, to the Jews, because they had yet to to fall. But the, the bulk of these messages are also to Israel, the house of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. But in chapter 6, <clears throat> It's talking about what's going to happen in the future. It's interesting, the Babylonians came from the north. But if we have uh, problems with the country that is really the most powerful in Europe today, they're going to be coming out of the north from Jerusalem, which is Germany. It's going to be interesting to see how long the Germans let the Europeans flounder around (laughs) trying to solve problems before the Germans say, get out of the way, we will solve the problem. That's the way they operate. And the first trip we did to Europe with uh, Scott whenever he was little, we did a charter airlines, flew from L.A. to, to um, Germany, <laughs> Frankfurt, I think it was. We're carrying a little baby. We get onto the plane, and half the plane is empty. And we thought, well, we got a little baby. We'll just sit back a couple rows, and, uh, and nobody will say anything. So we sat down, started spreading out. The stewardess come running. You will sit up here. I said, well, the plane's half empty. You will sit up here. So we sat up there. <laughs> they were very organized. plane took off on time, landed on time. What was interesting was it landed and said uh, there will be no more flights back to the U.S. And I think that was when they flew back to the U.S. There will be no more flights back to Germany because <laughs> they went bankrupt. 
But they did a very efficient job. I mean, this is how they operate. But back here to um, Isaiah 6, verse 22. Behold, a people comes from the north. You know, and Daniel talks about a king of the north. See, these are things that are going to happen yet. There is a parallel. And a great nation will be raised from the furthest parts of the earth. They're cruel, it talks about, verse 23. But down in... Uh, <clears throat> Verse 26, O daughter of my people, clothe yourself with sackcloth and ashes and roll about in the ashes. In other words, you better repent. Make mourning as for a holy son, most bitter, most bitter lamentation, for the plunderer will come suddenly upon us. Again, the concept is going to come suddenly. Chapter 15, verse 8 says the same thing. Chapter 15 and verse 8. <clears throat> talks about God is going to bring a nation into captivity. Verse 4, I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, who was a very evil king, and what he led the people into. For I will have <clears throat> uh, pity on you, Jerusalem. But down here in verse uh, 8, <clears throat> actually part latter part of verse 7, I will destroy my people since they did not return from their ways, their evil ways, their widows will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas I will bring against them, against the mother of uh, the young men, a plunderer at noonday, noonday, and I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. You can look these things up later, but Habakkuk is talking about... Uh, what is going to happen to backsliding people? Habakkuk 2.7, it says, Your creditors will uh, rise up suddenly. Your creditors will rise up suddenly. And Hosea mentioned some of the same things, that the king will be uh, basically taken over at dawn. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. Why is this going to happen? Let's look quickly at uh, Hosea. Now, if you dismiss the principle of duality, well, this all happened in the Old Testament. You know, that, that doesn't relate to us today. When you dismiss that principle, it's going to be kind of hard to figure out why things are happening today and where they are going to go. But Hosea is written to a backsliding nation talking about the Israelites. And Hosea chapter... <clears throat> Four talks about their sins. What's interesting in chapter five <clears throat> talks about the pride of the Israelites. Verse five of chapter five testifies to their face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim will stumble in their iniquity, and Judah stumbles with them. The modern nation of Israel in the Middle East, along with other Israelite nations, America, Britain, New Zealand, Australia, Canada are all going to get down the tubes at the same time. Why? Let's look at verse 9, pick up there. Well, number of places here. Verse 7, For they have dealt treacherously with the Lord. They said they would obey my commandments, keep my covenant, and then they've turned their back on it. 
They have begotten pagan children. Pagan children that don't know the laws of God. Then in verse 9, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. These things are going to come to pass. The princes of Judah, like those who remove a landmark, you take away the Sabbath, you take away the holy days, you take away the things that keep people mindful of God and his laws, I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Well, here's what I think. Here's how I think we should worship God. By human precepts. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth. What do your clothes look like when a moth gets into your closet? (laughs) It's full of holes. They're worthless after that. And to the house of Judah like rottenness. These are the things that are coming. Let's go quickly to uh, Amos. Amos was written prior to the fall of the northern uh, ten tribes, talking again about a nation that turns their back on God. talks about Judah and Israel. But in Amos chapter 2, verse 6, it says, For three transgressions and four of Israel... And for four, I will not turn its punishment. I will not turn away from the punishment because they sell their sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They're taking advantage of the poor. They're doing things that are not right. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. In other words, they want everything out of the poor. They pervert the way of the humble. They defile my holy name. They tell their prophets down in verse 12, but you give the Nazarites wine to drink. The Nazarites were told not to drink wine and commanded the prophets saying, don't prophesy to us. Don't tell us what's coming. We don't want to hear the bad news. They were doing that then. They're doing that today. Behold, I'm weighted down with you. (laughs) You're a pain to me. Is what God was saying to the Israelites. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3 is very interesting. Hear this, the word, <clears throat> hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land. You only have I known of all the peoples of the earth. You are the only peoples that I said, look, I want you to be my people. I didn't do this to the Egyptians. I didn't do this to the Assyrians. I didn't do this to the Babylonians. I chose you to be my special people. I gave you my laws. I said I would bless you if you followed those. And I said there would be consequences if you didn't. Only you have I known of all the families of the earth. Now, God has a plan that's going to encompass all the families of the earth eventually. But as part of the covenant, it was with the Israelites. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities. The time is coming when you're going to have to pay the piper. The Bible makes it pretty plain that the demise of Israel is going to come suddenly. 
when people don't expect. Now, that's exactly what Jesus Christ told his own disciples. Let's go to Matthew 24. And it's also what Paul told the New Testament church that he was writing to. Matthew chapter 24. And again, it's interesting, kind of incredible, how some people twist these verses totally out of context. In Matthew 24, his disciples came to him. In verse 3, what is going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How are we going to know we're getting close to the end of the age? He says, take heed, don't let anybody deceive you. Many will come in my name, or many will use my name. I'm a Christian, I love God, I I do all these things. But they're going to be deceiving many people. You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, and so on. Down in verse, uh, let's see here, it should be six, uh, six. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And down in verse 14, it says, This gospel of the kingdom of God. Again, I had never heard anything about the kingdom of God until I came in contact with the church of God that was talking about a coming kingdom to be set up on this earth. Why aren't many other churches preaching that? Because you go back into the early Middle Ages, the Catholic Church was preaching that it was the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom of God. Therefore, they didn't want to talk about a coming kingdom of God. In fact, they don't teach that today. It's contrary to Catholic doctrine. Edward Gibbon makes the comment, chapter 15 of the book, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He said, the, the, the anticipation of a coming kingdom on this earth was what drove the church for the first several centuries. That's why people came into the church. And he said it was gradually made an allegory and then referred to as heresy by the Catholic Church. That's why I never heard of it in the Protestant Church when I was growing up. Because the kingdom of God was in your heart. It was warm, fuzzy feeling that was there. That's not what Christ talked about. That's not what drove the early church. These were things that were jettisoned along the way. You can read in history books. It's all there. Back to verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Tell them what's coming and then the end will come. There's some people today saying that word end actually refers to the end of Mr. Armstrong's ministry. The word end here means the ending of Mr. Armstrong's ministry. So that's why some people are saying, well, you know, the... Preaching the gospel ended when Mr. Armstrong died. That's not what this chapter is talking about. Verse 3, it says, asking Jesus Christ, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's the subject down through the chapter. The end of the age. In verse 6, it says, you know, you'll hear of wars and rumors of war, but the end is not yet. That's not not talking about the end of Mr. Armstrong's ministry. It's talking about the end of the age. And people take this totally out of context and try and twist it to make it something else. Well, Mr. Armstrong preached the gospel, and we don't have to do it anymore. 
you know, what that approach does is puts an end to doing the work. We had a couple young fellows here recently. They said, by what authority are you preaching the gospel? It's been done. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, you will not have gone over the, the cities of Israel before I come. It's not going to be completed. But these ideas float around today. Let's jump to another concept here. In 1 Thessalonians, you know, I was listening to a sermon given by a friend where he said, you know, I've gone through the New Testament and there's just not that much prophecy there. And I'm thinking, what book are you reading? What book are you reading? In Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, they're all talking about the end of the age, long chapters. They talk about some very specific things. But notice Paul. Paul was dealing with some issues. And we're talking here about 55, 60 A.D. probably. But this was one of the issues floating around the church in Thessalonica. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly how the day of the Lord, uh, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Some people have said, well, yeah, he came as a thief in the night. That's why you know, we're, we're already in the day of the Lord. Because he came as a thief in the night, certain date. Since when is the day of the Lord 10 or 15 years long? Doesn't work that way. But they were concerned about this. For when they say peace and safety, notice the word here, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Same thing that uh, Jeremiah was talking about. Same thing that Isaiah was talking about. It's going to come suddenly. That's why Jesus said, you know, uh, you need to watch. You've got to be watching specific things. So Paul is talking about the day of the Lord coming. It's going to come as a thief in the night suddenly when people are not expecting it as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. You know, you know, generally you're going to have a baby. But you don't know when until those pains start to come. You know, my wife was pregnant with, I think, our second son. I was trying to mow the grass, get it done before the, goes the home delivery. And she was in the living room watching me mow the grass. And I, I saw her there. And I made one pass. And I saw she was, it disappeared. <laughs> and the pains were starting to come. I had to run in, call the doctor. And that's what it's talking about here. It's going to come suddenly. It's not going to be unexpected. But, you know, when you're pregnant, you know you are because you push this thing around for nine months. You know something's coming. But you don't know when until the pains start to come. And what Paul is saying, when they're saying, peace, peace, everything's okay, bang. It's going to come. Very definitely. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The church was being told that the day of the Lord had already arrived. Some people today are being told the day of the Lord is already here. Christ has returned secretly. It's amazing. We're dealing with the same issues today that Paul was dealing with 
in Thessalonica. But notice what he says. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering or gathering together to him, we ask uh, you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word uh, as if uh, the day of the Lord or the day of Christ has come. In other words, don't, don't be listening to people. So, well, the day of the Lord is already here. He said, it's not going to happen. Let no one deceive you. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and a man of sin is revealed. It talks about he's going to be you know, totally uh, taken over by Satan. He linked this up with Revelation chapter 13, talking about this uh, uh, second beast there that does miracles and deceives the whole world. This is what it's talking about. I want to read for just a minute. We may go over just a little bit, but hopefully not. The Bible indicates this is going to be a, a powerful religious figure that the man of sin is going to be. That's going to deceive the whole world. When you compare what Mr. Dukach did with what the Roman popes have done, then you can begin to understand what this is talking about. It was a document called the Donation of Constantine that supposedly said that Constantine, around 300, 330, donated all kinds of privileges and lands and everything else to the Pope because the Pope at that time supposedly healed him of leprosy. So in his gratitude, basically he says, I'm giving you all of Western Europe. I'm giving you prerogatives over all the bishops of the other uh, major cities and that they will have to kind of worship you and go along with you. This is what the donation said. The only problem was constantly Constantine lived about 330 A.D. This was a forgery that appeared about 800 A.D. But Catholic popes in the Middle Ages used this forgery to say, we're better than the rest of you. It's on the Internet. Read it. Look up Donation of Constantine. Read it, what it says. All this glorifying language, how the Pope is so great and so wonderful. Again, I'm not knocking him as a person. I'm saying this is history. And when you get a person like that, that is empowered by Satan, he's literally going to deceive the whole world. That's what this verse is talking about. And for someone to say, well, this was Mr. Dukach and this is what happened in the Worldwide Church of God is totally myopic. Because what it is going to do is condition some people to assume that's what fulfills this verse and they're not going to be watching. They're not going to be alert to what is coming. You know, if you watch the present pope, he's very clever, he's very intelligent, very smart. But he was in France recently. I think I mentioned this recently. And they're encouraging the French to do away with this law that separates religion and government. And he told the French, don't worry. <laughs> don't be afraid if the church becomes more powerful in Europe. There are laws in the books with the EU that Sunday should be a day of worship 
and that things should not be open on Sunday. The laws are there. And the Pope is saying, we need to get back to Sunday because they are the ones that changed it. About the time of Constantine, Council of Laodicea, Council of Nicaea. And they make no bones about it. Anyone that continued to keep the Sabbath, continued to keep the holy days, couldn't own property. They were run out of town. That's what happened then. Let's watch and see what's going to happen in the days ahead. You know, the popes claim to be the successors of Peter. Why? Supposedly, Peter was buried in Rome. That's what some of the early sources say. But a Catholic archaeologist found a grave on Mount Sinai. And in the grave were little, what do you call them, where to put the bones, sarcophagi. That said Peter. That said Mary. That said other things. He was a Catholic archaeologist, very capable individual. Apparently went to Rome, and the Pope's comment was, let's not say very much about that. Because they think Peter was buried in Rome. But being buried in Rome, whether he was or wasn't, doesn't mean that Rome should be over everybody else. The Catholic Church has used the donation of Constantine to perpetuate that. It's interesting, this book uh, by Hans Kung on the Catholic Church. He literally takes apart this whole concept of the popes being the successors to Peter. He says they claim to perpetuate the doctrines of Jesus Christ, yet they change the Sabbath. They've introduced Easter and Christmas. Peter was not celibate. A whole lot of things have changed. See, when the world begins to go back towards the Catholic Church, which what is going to happen in the years ahead, maybe months ahead, this appears to be a much better fulfillment of Second Thessalonians 2 than these ideas that this was something that happened in the Church of God led by Mr. Tukach. That just doesn't hold water. When these things begin to happen, this is going to shake the world. Literally, it's going to shake the world. Things are going to happen suddenly. They're going to happen to America and Britain because we have turned our back. When we talk about God, we talk about Jesus. But we don't do what Jesus said to do. He said, watch world events. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, David is going to rule over the house of Israel in the kingdom of God. Read Psalm 119 where David says, oh, how I love your law. He also says, show me the wondrous things in your law. Things are going to be very different. What does this all mean to you and me? Let's look quickly here as we conclude. Because Paul tells the Thessalonians, what should they be doing when they see these things beginning to happen? Verse 13 of chapter 2, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning, from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You know, He chose the ancestors of the Israelites. He's chosen these people to become spiritual Israelites 
to which he called you by the gospel or by our gospel for the obtaining of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Hang on to the truth that you have been given. Now, you understand why the Sabbath was changed, when it was changed, who changed it. When Jesus Christ comes back, the nation that doesn't go up to Jerusalem and keep the Feast of Tabernacles is not going to get any rain. Unless you've kept it and understand how to do it, you're not going to be in a position to teach anybody else how to do those things. But Paul is urging the people to get back to the truth, hold on to what you've been given. What do these things mean we've talked about today? Things are happening in the world that even financiers in the world are saying, we've never seen anything like this since the Great Depression. We've never seen anything like this. They're talking about the world's financial system hanging by a thread. Hanging by a thread. This is what's been happening in the last several weeks. If somebody cuts that thread, things are going to change dramatically. There's an interesting article came out of the German press. They said, we're not overly worried about what's happening on Wall Street. We're not overly worried about what's happening in Wall Street. The Germans, the French, and the Italians hold the chunk of gold supplies in Europe. Things are going to change in the near future. The Bible tells us why they're going to change. God's going to take his blessings away. He's going to let other nations come upon us. We need to keep focused on what the feast really is all about. There is going to be a coming kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. And he's going to use those individuals that he's calling now to recapture true values, to begin to understand the ways of God. Because it says the law is going to go out from Jerusalem. The very laws that we're learning to live by today. And part of our job is going to be explained to the entire world what has happened, why the world has been deceived, why we didn't understand the gospel, why we didn't understand the way of God. See, God called the Israelites out of the world to be a light and an example. He's called you and he's called me out of this world to be a light and an example, to prepare a people to work with Jesus Christ when he returns to this earth. It's an incredible calling, an incredible future. We need to watch and we need to understand what's happening today.